Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. We are in part two of a new series, The Systems of Great Deer Hunters, looking at what specific systems the best deer hunters use that give them a big advantage on mature whitetails. In this episode, we'll continue our talk with well-known big buck killer, Adam Hayes, who has shot four bucks over 200 inches. He has a knack of getting in their heads, and in this episode, he tells the exact systems he uses to get it done, so maybe you can too. So as we dive in, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. How does Adam use data to get an edge on 200-inch bucks and determine the how and when of his hunts? What three factors does Adam key in on to determine when a big buck will be active enough to shoot? What gear systems does Adam rely on and how does he get them bulletproof for taking big bucks? And there's a ton more to mine out of this one, so listen close and let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. All right, I'm here with Adam Hayes again, and last time, if you didn't uh, listen to our last segment, I'd uh, invite you, encourage you to go back and listen to that. We talked about uh, his approach in finding big bucks, mature bucks. Um, Also, we get a little intro from Adam. Uh, You can go back and listen to that for sure. Uh, But in this segment, we're going to kind of dig into some more details. Let's say you've, you've found or... Uh, kind of grown a large deer on your property, a mature buck. Uh, now we want to look at you know systems and how Adam uh, uses different systems to actually seal the deal, right? So using data to know how and when to hunt uh, these bucks. Uh, so Adam, let's just jump in here. In your um, experience looking at different things um do you have a system you use around data collection organizing data uh all those type of things to help you uh get to know to track big bucks so you know i guess how and when you should hunt that particular buck because we talked uh the last segment a little bit about how it's a strategic real strategic thing and where a lot of guys go wrong even if they can find a buck, and we talked about 200-inch bucks, which you shot four of them, even if you can find them, which is really rare, uh, a lot of guys, they're their own worst enemy. They're, they're, they get too aggressive or uh, too excited and overhunt and really screw it up themselves. So do you have, what's your technique for doing that, I guess, using data and different things to help you know how and when to hunt a certain buck? It's, it's hard to lump every deer into the same category because they're all different, you know, all different animals, different hunting situations. Um, like I said, most of my hunting these days is in areas that I'm, I've been hunting for 20 years, you know, in a few different states that I'm very familiar with. So by the time a buck reaches, you know, you know 170 to 200, it's usually an animal that I'm familiar with that I've seen in the past that I've got trail camera pictures of that I've passed up, watched him grow. So normally I've got a pretty good idea 
of not only the animal and what he's doing, but, you know, where I need to be at on, on that particular farm to hunt that animal. So really what it comes down to for me is, you know, the where and the when, you know, the where is going to be learned through my scouting. You know, I don't think there's, there's any replacement for, you know, boots on the ground, scouting year round. You know, and even during hunting season, you know, I scout, probably scout more than I hunt, actually. But, I mean, knowing where these deer bed, you know, knowing where they feed, knowing how they get from A to B, and then finding those weak spots along that travel pattern where you've got your best possible chance of killing that animal, and then waiting you know, the wind waiting for everything to line up. When is the perfect time to get in and kill those bucks? You know, because I shot my 13th buck over 170 this past year with a bow. And almost every single one of those deer was killed first time I set a tree stand because I do everything I can to try to get them killed the first time I go in. I don't think many guys are going to argue with the fact that the first time you hunt a tree stand is the best right. time. So if that's the case, what else can you do to make that first set even better, you know? And I think it's all about uh, three things, and, and it's in this order. It's the wind, it's the moon, and the weather. You know, I think those are the three main factors outside of hunting pressure or the rut that are going to, you know, increase activity for a mature animal you know when it comes to the wind i want to make that when i go in to try to kill an animal i want to give that buck the wind i don't think anything other than following the moon has had a bigger impact on my success when it comes to killing mature deer because when i quit hunting winds that were good for me and started hunting winds that were good for the buck i was hunting my success changed tenfold you know, nothing's going to make an old mature buck more comfortable to get up before dark and move than having the wind in his favor. So that was a light bulb moment for me. Why not give him the wind? You know, yeah. That's what it takes to get a mature buck on his feet, moving during daylight for you to kill him. Give him the wind. You know, it's, it's, it's our task as a hunter to scout and to be able to find an area along a buck's travel pattern where you can get within bow range of him while he's using the wind to his advantage. And I know a lot of guys are thinking, what in the hell is he talking about? How do you kill a buck when he's using the wind? And it's not an easy thing to find, you know, it's yeah. Alan Foster wrote an article back in the day in North American whitetail about the weak spot, finding a buck's weak spot. One of the best articles I've ever red when it comes to whitetail hunting and it's all about finding that spot where you can get within bow range of his travel pattern while he's using the wind to his advantage you know i want that buck to feel so comfortable with the wind in his face that he's up before dark and, and heading my way and that's what it takes yeah daylight movement do you, do you have an example you could say like here's a stand that i hunted before because I think that is hard for guys to figure out, and especially on a podcast, you know, you can't see it. You're trying to uh, verbalize it. But what would be an example if you could give one 
of giving him the wind, but them not being able to smell you like a, a setup, I guess. It usually comes when you find an area where uh, an animal's got to make a turn or kind of cheat the wind a little bit, or maybe um, the terrain forces an animal through a certain, you know, spot, whether it's, you know, a road, body of water, um, anything, you know, to Mm -hmm. force an animal to move. But if you think about it, and this is really how I personally find those weak spots is I'll get on a buck's travel pattern, you know, start walking his trails, you know, from bedding to feeding, you know, it's, it's, it's really simple to know where a buck's going to feed. I mean, you got so many ag sources, you got acorns. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science to figure out where these animals are feeding and, you know, you find their trails where they're, you know, their rubs, their scrapes, monitoring them with trail cameras to find out which trails they're using. And when you start walking those trails, you know, January, February, March, where everything's wide open and you can see everything. And you just think to yourself, if you're that animal and you know where you want to go to feed, how do you get to that area and what wind is going to make you feel the most comfortable, you know, with the wind in your face. And when you start walking that travel pattern, you start looking for spots you know, in the trees where you could be just off that travel pattern and he can't smell you. And like I said, it's normally on a turn, a fence crossing, somewhere where he's got to cheat the wind, but it, it's not an easy thing to do. But I mean, it's not impossible. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. But you start walking these travel patterns and trails and just thinking like a deer, what wind do I want? And then you start thinking beyond that, you know, where can I be as a hunter? while he's got the wind in his face where he can't smell me, you know, that's really all all it boils down to. I would think it takes an intimate knowledge of the land, right? So that goes into your scouting year after year, uh, intimate knowledge of a certain buck. So we're talking probably, like you said, you've known these deer for years and years because you've been monitoring them. You've been passing them right over the years Mm -hmm. to let them grow to a certain maturity uh, so it's really knowing the land, really knowing that buck, and then putting yourself in his head pretty much. Like, um, what is he going to do for certain winds? Um, and not just what's good for you, uh, what's good for him, and then setting up. Um, yeah, that's some really good tips that I think guys don't uh, think about enough, right? It's not about if, if I go in somewhere and the wind is good for me, who cares? You know, um, you can shoot maybe some dumb deer doing that, but we're talking about the, the smartest deer, smartest. Most of the time they are not going to be moving through the woods unless they got that wind to their advantage. You're just, you know, outside of the rut when you might catch one moving on a crosswind or with the wind in his back where he's trying to take advantage of all of his senses to locate, you know, a hot doe. But when they're on a strict feeding pattern, they're just not, an old buck's not going to be making mistakes. So the first thing I'm going to be doing, like I said, through my scouting is trying to find those weak spots because that's the first thing that I want when, before I'll go set up, you know, in my kill spot on a particular hunt is the wind in that buck's favor. You know, he's got to be comfortable enough to get up and move before dark and that's giving him the wind. And then the second one is the moon. I think there's a handful of days each month where you got a better chance of those big bucks instead of just laying there until it gets dark. There are certain evenings when they're going to get up and move just a little bit early. And I think that's, you know, 
well, I don't think I know with my own personal experience over the last 30 years that there are a handful of days each month when that, and it's not the phase of the moon, it's that uh, gravitational pull and the position of the moon in the sky. If you think about it, a mature buck for the most part is going to be in his bed. If he's doesn't have the wind or even has the wind in his favor, everything is really telling that buck to stay put until dark to be safe. On those nights when you get that overhead or underfoot moon and that gravitational pull, it's just a natural instinctive push to get them up just moving just a little bit early. You know, we're not talking about a big migrational movement pattern. You know, we're talking about a buck just getting up a few minutes earlier, you know, moving just a little bit earlier on his normal pattern to take advantage of it. So if you give him the wind, you give him, you know, a, a good night when that extra push is getting him up to move a little bit earlier. And then if you can add a good weather pattern, that's going to increase directivity on top of that. That's to me, that's the perfect storm for hunting whitetails. You know, all three of those factors, any of those factors could get a deer moving early. I think what you really want is you want a night where you combine two or three of them. That's when things get bloody. You know, you want to stack right. in your favor, good wind, good moon, good weather pattern. But, I mean, I've killed a lot of my big deer on weather patterns when they really shouldn't have been moving. And we're probably going to step on some toes here. You know, I, I agree 100% weather influences and increases or decreases deer activity. But for me personally, like I said, that's number three. I want the good wind and a good moon. And if I've got those two factors, I'm going in. I think the yeah. good weather pattern is just icing on the cake. Yeah, two of the three, that's a good way to look at it because every year, you know, it seems like there's, you have a heat wave here and there. I think it was last year, um, if I'm remembering correctly, that hit during the rut for me, or maybe it was the year before. But anyways, and it, it suppresses kind of some of that daylight stuff, but it, somewhere they are still, they're still breeding, right? They're still moving. Deer are still eating, uh, all that stuff, right? They have to do that stuff. So uh, they're going to move to some point. It might be suppressed a little yeah. bit, but... And I've got a story to talk about later about, you know, biggest buck in my life that I killed. You know, that deer, I shot that deer was almost 80 degrees out, hour and a half before dark. No reason for that buck to be up moving, but a good wind, good moon, you know? You know, and that's, that's not 100% either, you know? If, if a big buck is making a mistake during daylight and it's not good wind, not good moon, you know, I, I'm going in to kill them. You know, if they're making a mistake during daylight, you got to get aggressive and jump in. And last big deer I killed in Ohio was not on, you know, not on a red moon. Um, the wind probably could not have been worse for me. It was perfect for the deer. But I mean, it was one of those winds where you're like, you know, no matter what this deer is probably going to win me, but I was getting ready to go to Canada. Um, a day later, I rolled the dice. I, you know, I trusted, you know, my scent control regimen, Ozonics scent that I use everything to cover up and, you know, killed one of the biggest you know, deer I've killed in Ohio in a long time because that deer showed up during daylight making a mistake. And, you know, when they do that, you need to take advantage of it. Right. How, how do you, you talking about, you know, on foot scouting a lot. How are you in that case? How did you know he was doing that? Do you use remote cameras or? Yeah. 
you know, I use, I use cameras, you know, probably more than I should and rely on them more than I should. And I use a lot of cellular cameras because I'm hunting, you know, three or four different States. And that's really right. the only way that you can monitor and get that real time information, which is just priceless during season. But yeah, I had a cell camera in this particular spot, you know, this is buck I was really familiar with. Wasn't expecting him to show up this early. It was second or third week of October. And yeah, he just showed up in the corner of a bean field, you know, on my lease down south and, 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 you know, early, you know, plenty early to kill and slid in there the next night and killed him. And normally that wouldn't have been a night, you know, that I would have been yeah. in there expecting something to happen because killing big deer is all about trying to predict what they're going to do before they ever do it and being there to take advantage of that because normally when they show up on camera, you know, you missed your opportunity if you're not there. Right. Just so happened he did it two nights in a row and I was able to kill him the next night. So yeah, cellular cameras are just worth their weight in gold as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's, um, do you also use, uh, looking at talking about that data and like, uh, maybe a system you use with that. So, Stacking all the things in your favor before you go in, I think is a huge, huge point for guys. Um, and, and being able to hold off, right? Having some self-control, which is probably the hardest part for a lot yep, of us. For sure. Um, and also getting that real-time data. So cellular cameras, things like that. Are there things that you look for as far as maybe year to year with like cellular data, like this buck, you know, talking about different personalities and, uh, not just deer in general, but a specific deer and their personality, their habits, I guess. Are there things you look for in trail cam data or anything like, like that where you build a profile to help you predict the future? Like, okay, he tends to show up on these days at this time of daylight in this area and, you know, using that to your advantage. Hi, this is Adam Lewis, and this is your High IQ Moment. Have you taken the time to identify systems you use for hunting? By systems, I mean a set of principles or procedures according to which you hunt or prepare to hunt. Systems do the heavy lifting required for success. One system I've developed that really has upped my odds on good bucks is what I call the hot spot continuum. It's basically a decision system that helps me determine with data and not feelings when I should or should not hunt certain areas. It helps take out the guesswork and take a more odds-based scientific approach to hunting deer. You can read about the details of how that works in an article I'll link below called Ultra Efficient Deer Hunting. So check that out below. And Adam took the Deer IQ test, which I forgot to mention in this episode, so I'm going to share it now. This is a test you can also take and compare how you did to how Adam did. And look at the grading scale too, if you dare, which is a 1 to 10 scale, and it's kind of humorous. So Adam scored a 7 out of 10, which is pretty good, honestly. It's a hard quiz. How did you do? Share what you got if you dare below, and you can find that link below. And do you like this episode so far? If you do, take a second to like and subscribe, and maybe share this episode with a friend you think will benefit. That really helps the podcast grow and is greatly appreciated, and I thank you ahead of time for your support. Okay, and now let's get back to the podcast. 
Are there things you look for in trail cam data or anything like, like that where you build a profile to help you predict the future? Like, okay, he tends to show up on these days at this time of daylight in this area and, you know, using that to your advantage? Yeah, I mean, you got to look at everything. And a good example um, is the buck I killed this past year in Illinois, shot a 181 inch buck in Illinois. And this was not a, this was a deer I knew about, you know, for a few years, I think he was probably seven years old. Um, Not a deer that lived on one of the farms that I hunted on, you know, but we would occasionally get a picture of him coming through, you know, sometimes in the rut, you know, looking for a doe, no consistency whatsoever. You know, just an animal that we knew was in the area, but chances of ever catching up with him was slim to none because, like I said, he didn't live on the farm. I think he actually lived two farms over because the farm that I hunted next to had pretty heavy pressure. So for that deer to get that old, I knew that he normally was coming through the adjacent farm after dark. So chances of him ever getting to me before, you know, before legal time was slim to none. But this past year, I was actually hunting a different animal, had an encounter with him early season, just after shooting light, after camera light, let him go, never saw him again, um, completely disappeared, don't know what happened to him. But I was over there checking cameras on a different farm before I left, and I got a picture of this buck. Um, One time, came through, showed up on the red moon, got a daylight picture of him, there's good deer in the area, but I'm not really that excited because of the history. I know this deer hardly ever shows up, doesn't live on the farm. Spent the rut in November in Kansas chasing another big deer and got a cellular picture of this buck again on the red moon again. So in two months, two daylight pictures, both on the red moon, I'm thinking to myself, is this a coincidence or is this a pattern? You know, and I start looking at you know, what was the wind direction for for the two days that he came through here? You know, what's the common denominator, anything I could think of trying to figure out, you know, if I'm going to crack this buck late season, why did he show up on, on these two days in particular during daylight? And the only thing that I could come up with was it was on the red moon. So December comes and goes. We get some pictures of them in December at night. You know, they've got multiple gun seasons, a lot of pressure during December. Um, He did show up a few times, but it was all the middle of the night. And season in Illinois was going out, archery season was going out 15th of January. Normally, I go to the archery trade show first week, second week of January. And uh, this year it coincided with, you know, the, the last week of season in Illinois, and it was the red moon. I'm thinking to myself, I need to be there because the only two times this buck has shown up on this farm in daylight was on the red moon. And the last red moon of the season is the last week. So I skipped the ATA show. I actually waited till the last three days of season because we had crap weather. Uh, I believe they had some rain and thunderstorms maybe even early in that week. And then at the end of the week, we were getting a northwest wind, which was blowing right back into where he was coming from. So I want, like I said, I wanted him to be comfortable enough to move with, you know, the wind in his favor. And then my biggest concern was that buck didn't want that. I didn't want to go in there and have 
not kill him and have that buck know that I was there, you know, because when, when you go into a, you know, a late season food source and you come out of there at dark, there's deer everywhere. And I knew I was going to be blowing deer out of the field. And the last thing I wanted to do was have him in the, be in the field or in the woods and run all the deer out of the field and spook him. So I knew I had to, I had to kill him the first night I went in. So I waited until, you know, the very end of the week, which I think a lot of guys would have rushed in there and tried to kill him because we're running out of time. I got to, you know, I got to hunt. I got to get in there and try to kill him. But I waited for a good wind, waited for the moon to come back around. Two days left the season and killed one of the biggest bucks I've ever shot in Illinois. And that was the only thing that I, that we could come up with, you know, studying all the pictures, wind directions, weather, you know, looking at everything, trying to figure out what, what's the common denominator here. And that's the only thing we could come up with, you know, was he showed up on the red moon three times in season, only three pictures we got of him in daylight and killed him on that last red moon of season. So. Yeah, it, that's interesting. Just how much um, you have to be a detective, really, um, and a student of the deer in general, but a specific deer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and just how much that takes. That's that's a lot of uh, commitment, a lot of self control, and a lot of gathering and putting together the pieces, right? Um, and you know, you talk about a strategic strike you know, which is what it is, um, I write as well, and I wrote last year an article, I think, really related to that, basically, you know, these surgical, it's a surgical removal of a uh, buck, or these strategic strikes, and so when you're doing that, you're going into their domain, a lot of times, you don't have you know, you're going to have multiple chances at, at that type thing. Uh, what are some of the things let's talk about? So that'd be more like data systems. We just talked about what are some of your gear systems that put you in? You, you kind of just briefly mentioned some of the stuff. Uh, there's so many things in the deer's favor that you're trying to mitigate, minimize, or remove. Um, what are some systems you have in place as far as gear, um, that you think are just vital that help you do that, especially when you're giving uh, the deer the wind, as you talked about. What are some of your, I guess, gear systems that you've developed that really help you uh, to do those things? Well, I've definitely got a few different gear systems that I use, have used over the years that have worked for me. But I think the main part of it is, you know, using all that stuff ahead of time and getting intimately familiar with all of your gear so that one, you're not making any mistakes during season. It's always the smallest details that end up being the difference between success or failure, you know, in season. And I'm, I'm a firm believer of, you know, you've got to practice. You don't want to practice until you get it right. You've got to practice until you can't get it wrong because when you've got a world-class animal in bone range, he's going to expose your weakest link and it's just got to be second nature. You know, you just got to practice until you can't get it wrong. So it's just natural when it happens and getting intimately familiar with all your gear, you know, with everything, not, not wait until season, you know, to use it all just to make sure that, you know, nothing's making any weird noises. You know, my, my scent regimen is probably overkill. Um, 
but you got to do everything to be as scent free as possible, you know, and I take that a couple steps further with, you know, being as scent free as I can. I use an Ozonics, which I was skeptical, skeptical about that's that when they first came out, you know, I'm filming my own hunts. So I've got, you know, a 40 pound pack I'm taking out every time. Cause I got all my, all my hunting gear right. and all my camera gear. I don't need something extra in my backpack. You know, right, yeah. it, it's heavy enough as it is. Stuff. So, you know, to to um, be as scent free as you can, I use an Ozonics. I use cover, a cover scent or attractive scent every time I hunt. You know, just I want to do, you know, everything I can, just like what the rest of my hunting with these big bucks. You know, when it comes to your year, you got to take it that next step, a couple extra steps. Just to make sure, you know, when it comes to your bow, you know, shooting your bow. I was just shooting out in the front yard last night. I got a new setup and just looking at the different things, you know, that that are making noise right now that I know I've got to take care of before season. You know, covering the shelf with some moleskin or covering the side of the rest, anywhere that arrow could bump. Because, man, when it's crunch time, like I said, your weakest link's going to get exposed. So you've got to cover all your bases. So... I've been using, you know, Lone Wolf. I'm going to wave the Lone Wolf flag here for a minute. I've been using Lone Wolf gear since I started, you know, with those guys back in the mid-90s, maybe. Um, your tree stand equipment, and there's great there, – everybody makes good products, but I think the Lone Wolf stuff, that what sets it apart, not only is it easy to use, but it's just so quiet. And my third – was my third yeah my third 200 that i shot in ohio um i actually didn't have a stand hung for that buck he showed up one night in the back of a of a cornfield that just got picked the day before he was bumping some does around it was third week of october fourth week of october yeah i think it was like right around the 20th and there was a crp field behind that that i i didn't have a stand back there I'd, not been able to find this buck first time he showed up and you know he was up you know during daylight making a mistake and i dove in there the next day had to stand and sticks on my back I actually had to walk in there with the wind at my back but i went right down the edge of the field so my scent wasn't blowing up into the crp mm -hmm. and looked for a tree and ended up hanging on the the second trail that i came through on i figured that was my best bet and i hung that stuff and watch that buck get up at 80 yards right before dark, head my way and killed him. And I mean, you can't go into a buck's bedroom and hang a stick and stands quiet enough, you know, to not let that animal pick you up. And their equipment allows you to do that. I mean, it just, it just uh, was... That was a, a shining example of being able or taking advantage of using quality equipment and how much of a difference it can make. Because if I'd have went in there clanking and clanking and banging around with, you know, equipment that made any noise at all, I would have never killed that buck. Yeah, so, it's, it, details is huge. Um, I mean, I love to have all my stuff pre-hung, you know. Right. Love to have my stands hung months in advance of season, but there are certain times when you got to get aggressive and you got to dive in and do a hanging hunt, like I did on that night. And there's, you know, you've got to have the right equipment to be able to pull that off. Yeah, I know what you're doing with it. I think uh, just the prep work is 
is huge. And I think a lot of guys fail there. And I, I know, um, I'm sure I have before is just knowing your stuff so well that you can, you know, do it in your sleep type thing. Um, or in the dark, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm going in, I'm going to a tree before daylight. Not only am I getting my bow set up, my ozonics, but I'm getting camera arms set up, cameras, multiple camera angles. You know, that's a lot of stuff to get done in the dark quietly. I'll never forget. I climbed into a tree uh, with Andre, the owner, you know, original owner, a lone wolf one morning. I was filming him. I think we were in Illinois, Illinois or Iowa. And we dove into a buck's bedding area in the morning. Andre was hunting. I was filming him and Andre, you know, sitting there in his stand, you know, he climbs up and he's ready to go. And I'm getting all this stuff ready. And he looks up at me and he's like, you got a lot going on up there. <laughs> like, that's what I got to do. So, I mean, there's a lot you have to get done and trying to get it all done in the dark and being quiet. You know, you've got to be intimately familiar with that stuff. And that's another one of my systems is the pack that I use and the way it's packed. It's a system of, you know, what's the first thing I do when I get in my tree? What's the first thing that I'm going to hang? That's the first thing in the front of my pack. And it's just a bam, bam, bam system of how I hang things and get everything ready. And just it's everything's a process. You got to have a system and it's got to be bulletproof. Yeah. And you can't be uh, just saying, oh yeah, this is good enough. I'll just throw the stuff in the backpack. It's you know, in the summer, I'm guessing, right, months and months ahead of time, you are actually laying this out and practicing it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, over and over, like repetition over and over. And yeah, the pack is packed a certain way, so it's easy to pull out. It makes sense. You can't be digging around in the pack, searching for this or that. I'm sure we've all been there looking for one thing that's buried at the bottom, right? Yep. Um, because yeah, all that's added noise. It's added movement. It's time, right? Like, how many times I think have guys got into spots and it takes them longer than they thought to get ready or whatever. And while they're setting up, here comes a deer or the deer that they're looking for. And even knowing how long it takes uh, to for you to do certain things. Yeah. And that's another part of my system. I've learned over the years that it's um, what I like to do is I'll go into an area and, if, and hunt that evening. <laughs> if I'm actually, I'm going to back up. I don't hunt a lot of mornings early season just because I think it's really tough to beat a mature buck into mm -hmm. his bed before daylight when they're on a strict feeding pattern. But if I'm going to take a chance on a morning hunt, I really want that stuff to be already set up and ready to go. So what I like to do is I like to go in in the evening, get everything set up, hunt that evening, and then leave everything in the tree. I mean, I'll leave my bow hanging. I'll leave... The only thing I'll take out of there is I'll take my camera off the camera arm, but I'll leave the camera arm set up, all that. So all I got to do is climb up, put my camera on the arm, and I'm ready to go. That's yeah. worked really good for me for morning hunts because it's, it's so, so tough. Quiet. Even if you're used to setting it all up, you know, you're still, yeah. there's going to be mistakes that you make and sounds. And I just, I like having everything in there ready to go. Yeah, and that in the morning too, it's usually dead silent, you know. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's just so tough. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys now that have gone gone to mobile hunting, which has definitely has its benefits, like you talked about, like uh, just being able to uh, stay on top of deer, right? To adjust 
when you mm-hmm. need to. But a lot of it, the, the problem with that that I've found is just you're setting up every single hunt, and that's added motion, it's added noise. And if you can get, like one of my favorite setups is what you're saying, like they're already it's already set in there months ahead of time. All I have to do is just slip in and get in it. Like that's yep. all I have to do. And it's easy to do when you know you got a you know you've got a private you know private right. farm to do that on. I know a lot of the mobile mobile guys you know that are talking about mobile hunting and the saddles and this and that. You know a lot of those guys are public and they've got to do that sort of thing because they can't right. leave gear in the tree. So I mean it's all relative, but yeah, I'd, I definitely prefer to have everything set up. Um, ahead of time if you can but there's certain circumstances where you got to be mobile and get aggressive and like i said do a hanging hunt so yeah good tips adam uh appreciate you coming on and sharing here for sure and because uh, i know guys will get a lot out of uh this episode so the first uh segment we, we you in, you talked a little bit about uh yourself and uh, your resume but in this one we didn't really so I want to give you a minute here. What could you tell us? What do you got going on now? I know you've done TV shows. Do you have any of that um, that you could share with guys? Yeah. So this is our um, this is our tenth season for Team Two Hundred. Um, it airs uh, on the Pursuit Channel, um, third and fourth quarter. So our tenth season is getting ready to start here. At the end of end of June, first week of July. All of our seasons are available digitally. You know, if you guys are into the streaming episodes, you can stream all the episodes, all the seasons on Waypoint TV. If you're not familiar with Waypoint, go to waypointtv.com. They've got a a great website that you can watch the shows. They've got a free app. You can get on your phone and watch them there. Um, So that's our, you know, our digital streaming part of the show. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I own the Deer Hunters Moon Guide. We've turned that into an app. Um, it's got um, it's got a lot of useful information on it. It's got weather information. It's got mapping, parcel data. We just upgraded to Google Maps for this year on that, so it's the most up-to-date mapping a guy can get. Um, forecasts, everything you need as far as mapping. I mean, when we, when I created it, I wanted to create an app that had everything I wanted. So I'm not using two or three different apps. So right. all of my weather information is there. All of my mapping information is there. And then obviously the, the red moon dates and the moon guide data. I mean, I've been following that for, it's getting to be close to 30 years now. And that's, that's, um, it's been a big part of my success on mature deer. So between that and, and team 200 TV show keeps me pretty busy. Well, Adam, again, Great stuff. Check out uh, all that stuff you just shared, guys. And Adam, again, thanks for coming on. It was great talking with you. All right, so here are your high IQ takeaways and challenges. What do you feel about moon phase and buck activity? Leave comments where you're watching or listening if you can. This is a debated one, so I'm really curious your thoughts. What can you do to improve your gear systems and be able to use them in your sleep? a big factor in being able to seal the deal on big bucks. Next time we'll get into systems of another great deer hunter with return guest John Eberhardt. And we hit some controversial stuff, but it's a really good and challenging episode, which is what stimulates growth, which is what we're all about here. You'll want to hear what he says regarding this topic, so I'll see you then.